Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. How many of you guys are feeling good this morning? Amen. Praise God. Worship was amazing. I love how the Spirit of God moves. And sometimes when we talk about certain things, the presence of the Lord shows himself and speaks. And there's a consistency. And you're going to see a lot of that in uh, today's message. Um, how many excited? We've, we've come to this point where we're through the first half of the Bible, or should I say first 55, 60% of the Bible, the Old Testament. How many had a good time learning about the Old Testament? Yeah, and we're coming through this, we're coming through this point now where, you know, um, things, are, things are changing and we're going we're gonna to find out how it ends, but it's not the end, but we find out how these things that end are fulfilled in the New Testament. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm just saying this is where we are right now. So can we pray real quick? I'm just going to pray by, by your heads. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I am excited about your word. God, I thank you that you use your word to speak to us, to show us where our direction, to show us where you want us to be, how we are to live for you, how we are to serve you. And I pray, God, that your word would go deeper, that we would go deeper and not only hear this word, but apply this word and find ourselves drawing closer to you, not just for today, not, no, not some one-night stand, but for all eternity, God, we desire to be with you and in your presence and talking with you and walking with you. So, Lord, we just, I just pray that hearts would receive what you want to say today, God, that we won't have hard hearts and our faith won't be circumstantial, but, God, that it would be one that would, that would endure, one that would trust you with everything in our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I'm talking about two books. I'm going to see if we can get through this. <laughs> uh, we're talking about two books. The last two books of the Bible, Zechariah and Malachi. Zechariah is made up of 12 chapters. So I'm going to just take it really quick, uh, really quick. So the book of Zechariah, it contains most references to the coming of the Messiah uh, and the message of the prophet. We often look at a chronological order when reading the Bible and prophecy that one of the things that can make, and it makes it confusing. Zechariah does things like refer to Jesus, the first coming, in Zechariah 9, verse, chapter 9, verse 9, which references Palm Sunday. Then in the very next verse, he refers to the second coming. Zechariah uh, prophesies, and covers the entire story of God is telling in his word. And the details can seem spread out, but not to God. So there's a lot of chapters that he talks about encouragement. He's talking about bringing order to God. And then there's times when he's prophesying about the future and the things that God is going to do 
not just what's going on in that moment, but the things to come. So the book of Zechariah is, is made up of 14 chapters. He's a, a prophet. It's, 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 it's a part of what's called the Minor Prophets. And it was written around 520 B.C. Um, the earlier pro- prophecies were around 520 B.C. And then the other part, the uh, second half of the book is around 484 B.C., about the time, and, and it's about the second coming of Christ, the first and second coming of Christ. The periods covered, again, it was around 520 uh, B.C. and the end of days. The author is the prophet Zechariah. Now, this was interesting about Zechariah. He was born in Babylon. He was born in exile. So he didn't know the glorious days of Israel at that time. He didn't know how, you know, God was dwelling with them and how they were prosperous at a time when the king was following God. And he didn't see all these things. What he knew was exile. But what happens is not only was he born in exile, but he carries this passion for what God is doing. He remembers due to studying God's word and encouragement for the future of what God is going to do. So he comes back from exile with Zerubbabel. He comes back with Zerubbabel. Here's that name again. Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. So we remember Uh, In the past where God was judging his people, God was saying, you're going to be brought in captivity. There's a lot of things that are going to happen. And yet God continues to say, he continues to promise, bring a promise of deliverance and a promise of prosperity and all these other things. So Zechariah, not knowing these things, but having hope. Why? Because where people were forgetting, he remembered. But why did he remember? Does anybody know why he remembered? Because he read the word. Because he studied the word. At that time, he read the history. He didn't forget because he read the history. That's why it's so important, no matter what circumstance you are in, to read and understand and hold on to the promises of God. Because Zechariah, the only hope he had was the word that God had given at that time. The promises that God had given at that time in the midst of the circumstance when people were being discouraged. So we look at this and we break it down, the book of Zechariah, into two parts. The first part of the book is chapters 1 to 8. And it talks of his calling and encouragement to the people to come back from exile. And the second half of the book is chapters 9 through 14. He brings a word regarding the future, such as the first and second coming of Christ. So the first part of the book, there's eight visions that's given to Zechariah. So Zechariah is given these eight visions in the middle of the night. And they all speak of God's sovereignty. They all speak of, yeah, you may be going through things. Things may be hard but I am in control. Now, the thing is, is it easy to remember that God is in control when things are going crazy around you? It's hard to remember that God is in control if you're not spending time with him. And so that's what happened. God had him have these visions and dreams to remind God's people and remember that God is in control. 
And even in today's society, we can see a lot of parallels and a lot is going on. But what do we have to remember? What is that God is trying to remind us? That God is in control. So I'll give an example. There was one uh, vision that he sees a man among these myrtle trees. And this vision represents a time of what appeared to be rest and peace, but it was due to the iron grip of the Persian rule at that time. The children of Israel were in exile and oppressed due to their disobedience. Again, it was a consequence of disobedience. They asked, how long? How long, God, will we endure? God assures them he's committed to rebuilding his kingdom. So God is a God, he's a good, good father, as we sang today. He's a good father. And God loves his people too much to allow them to continue in a way that separates them from him. And as a consequence of that, they found themselves in being judged and in exile and in captivity. And while they were being oppressed, it was a hard time. So you see the people of God saying, God, how long, how long, how long? Mind you, God doesn't necessarily put them in this position so that they are discouraged. But God wants to put them in a position to bring them back to him. How many remember the story of Job? And how that, that thing wasn't to make, that situation wasn't there to make, to break uh, Job. It was there to make Job, make Job come back to God. And so that's what God was trying to do here. And God assures them in the midst of this, yeah, there's going to be hard times, but he's committed to rebuilding the kingdom because what God desires is for his kingdom to be here on earth as God is using his people to establish that kingdom. God is committed to that promise, and he never goes back on his word. How many know that God keeps his end of the bargain? I'm so glad to get some amens. Amen. (laughs) He keeps his end of the bargain, and he's ready to bring the people out of exile. He says, I'm going to do it. Don't worry, my child. Just like a good father says, he's not going to, if you fall off your bike or you're drowning, you know, God's not going to leave you there just to start drowning like, He's not going to do that. When he sees you, he's going to bring his hand and bring you back. And that's what God is saying here. I'm going to bring you out. He's committed. Now, but the question is, are they ready? God is ready to keep his end of the bargain. But as we've seen time and time again, are they ready? And so the question goes again, are you ready? to keep your end of the bargain. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm telling you, this is a good word, good stuff. So to sum up the first half of Zechariah, I remember uh, PG said, I never forgot this too. Pastor Gary, one of the founding pastors of this church, he said, if you ever want to know the gist of 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 a story or the gist of a letter or whatever the paragraphs are, just read the first paragraph. A lot of it is right there. So over time, that's what I would do. Like when I see a whole bunch of words, they just kind of attack me. So what I do is I just look at those first couple of words and get the gist of it. So let's see what, and that happens in Zechariah. In Zechariah, 
to sum it up, it's in chapter 1, verse 3, and God is talking about return to me, return to God, not just in the land, not just return to God in the land. And, and God will return to you and do great things, and they will be done. God wants, you, God wants them to return to him from their heart, not just in the natural. So Zechariah, verse 1, chapter 1 through 6, and we'll see a couple of things here. It says, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord mighty says. Return to me. Somebody say, return to me. Declares the Lord almighty. And I will return to you, says the Lord. Almighty, do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen and pay attention. Somebody say, listen and pay attention. So what is God saying? Listen and pay attention. He said, they would not listen and pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my word and my decrees, which I command my servants and prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So they didn't repent. God is saying, just like a father would tell a child, don't forget who I am. All right, son, don't forget who I am. I've done all these things for you. I'm in charge. The child, the child you tell them, don't play with fire. They play with fire. They go into the, you know, they hit the hand, they take the hand and put it on the pilot, and they get burned. Father said, I told you so. I told you so. So he's saying all these years, I've been, you know, I've had prophets come. We've talked all in the Old Testament. I've had prophets come. I've had people, I've had men of God come and tell you these things. And all those times have passed. And every time they've disobeyed and they've gone back into old evil ways. And he's saying, where are they? Where are these, where are those that were, had evil practices and practiced evil things and, and went back into do, and disobedience? Where are they? He said, but my word and my decrees have stood forever. God's truth stands forever. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful to his promise and his word. So this is what we see. We see it again. God's saying, because remember, he doesn't want to be separated. He wants to be with his children, but God is a holy God. And his presence, in his presence is holiness. Sin can't stand in his presence. And so it's on us to hold up. Again, he's holding up his end of the bargain. 
question is, are you holding up your end of the bargain? Did they hold up their end of the bargain? And apparently, in their own strength, they could not. And even they said, I, they said in there, what did they say here? It says, then they repented and said, Lord Almighty has done what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. It was that repentance that brought them back, the acknowledgement of the sin that they had and the disobedience. Let's, let's just focus on the disobedience, because the disobedience is the sin. The disobedience toward God. They realize these are the things that we've been doing. God, we for, we've, we, we, we've forgotten you, and we repent of it, which means they turned away. And then we see in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, a very, very popular scripture, a very, very one, that, a very scripture that's very popular and always um, quoted, Zechariah 4, 6 and 7. So he said to me, NIV, by the way, he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. How many remember that it's not by might or not by power, but by God's spirit? That deliverance and, 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 and being able to be a nation among God a nation that is of God, obedience and all of those things that God wants to do, it doesn't come by your own strength. It doesn't come by your own capabilities or popularity. I'm not standing here because I'm talented and I'm capable. I'm standing here because it's not by might and it's not by my own power, but it's by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God, can we do all things in his name, not our name? And Malachi and, 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 and Zechariah was pretty much saying that to them. It's not by what you can do. It's by the Spirit of God. God wanted to deliver them from the Persians at that time. And he was telling them, it's not going to be by your own might. It's going to be by my spirit. And then when you are released, the things that I desire to do through this kingdom with my kingdom on earth through you, that's not going to be done by your own might or power. It's going to be done through me, depending on me. How many of us have found ourselves sometimes fine depending on other things? And where did that get you? Now, don't, don't raise your hand. I've done it before, but I don't need you to raise your hand. You know what you did. <laughs> you know what that time was. And did you have to find yourself saying, oh, God, I'm sorry? Every time something goes wrong, what do we say? Oh, God, help me. What are we saying before that happens? Are we saying, God, lead me through this? God, give me direction. God, help me. What is your first response to everything and every decision in your life? What is your first response? Sometimes... You're rushing. I can tell you many stories about that. We don't have a lot of time for that. But I have a lot of stories of where I rushed in. And thank God for my wife. I'll never forget the one time I rushed in. God said, she said, did you pray about it? 
I love her. She get on my nerves, but I love her because she tells me what I need to hear as opposed to what I want to hear. That's love. And that's what God was telling them. This is what you need to know as opposed to what you want to know. It's not by your power. It's by my power. And I, I, I learned from it. I repented from it. And I, and, and, and I thank God I grew from it. But that's with the time I realized, man, I need to seek God in every situation in my life. I need his direction. It's not by my might or my power. It's by his spirit. Amen. And then he goes on to talk about, he talks about this capstone. Then he will bring out the capstone. Now, another word for capstone is like the cornerstone. And it's the one stone. We got, we got our construction workers in here, so you know about this. This one stone that's set so that everything else kind of rests around it. And if even like in a, in a house nowadays, you got to have a certain beam where everything else rests. That whole second floor rests on that beam. And God says, I'm going to have Zerubbabel do that. He's going to build things up. And, and with that capstone, he's going to say, bless it, bless it, bless it. But God, as we know, not only speaks in the natural, but he speaks in the spiritual. And so this capstone not only, is not only the rebuilding of the temple as they return from exile physically, but also Jesus. He comes to be the cornerstone that God would use to build his kingdom in the hearts of men. You see how God is bringing his, his always talking about what's to come. I just feel led to say this. God doesn't see you for who you are right now. God sees you for who you're going to be. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't see you for who you are right now. Right now, you could be saying, man, I am not worthy. Man, I'm, I, I'm, God can't forgive me. I'm too far gone. But God doesn't see you for that. When you come to God, God says, I see that worship leader that I call. I see that evangelist that's going to win souls. I see that businessman that's going to put, going to be wealthy in the market to bring my kingdom into the world. How many glad God sees you for who you're going to be? And God sees his children too. He sees his kingdom and he says, I'm going to bring not only the capstone and the cornerstone for the building of my kingdom in the temple down here on earth under the, with the children of Israel, I'm going, to bring, I'm going to bring that capstone that is going to build my kingdom in the hearts of men. It's amazing how God, when he speaks, and I love this. Brother Eddie said this long, yesterday, last week. God says a lot without saying a lot. That's why I like Malachi. He didn't talk a lot. So <laughs> just remember, when they were in exile, how many remember when um, we talked about uh, Isaiah? And Isaiah spoke of glorious promises of prosperity before they went into exile. Over the time, they became discouraged, and they did not understand the circumstances why they got worse. So they remember these, they remember these, these prophetic uh, words of Isaiah of prosperity and, and promise, and they and they're expecting it. They're talk, he talked about the king coming and and how he's going to overthrow all the enemies. 
and he's going to bring his kingdom on earth. And they're looking for it. They're not looking for it, but they're looking for it. And they're saying, wait, this ain't, this ain't what, where is it? What's taking so long? Where's this king on this horse and that army that's going to overthrow everybody? Where is all this? So in that time, they became discouraged. See, sometimes we want to go from A to Z without going through the process that prepares us for Z. God had to prepare his children for Z. He gave them the promise, and they were at A. But then they forgot that there's going to be A, B, C, D, E. There's a process before you get to Z. Now, and we could find ourselves there too. Sometimes we've heard God say things to us and we go, well, where, where, where's Z? So mind you, much of what was brought upon the children of Israel was a result of disobedience toward God and God delivering them from when, when they were ready to turn back to God. The second half of the book of Zechariah, 9 through 14, is a time when the great messianic future is to come and the full realization of God's kingdom. God is going to come in person to bless Jerusalem and to judge his enemies from his kingdom. And we see that. What happened was in chapter 11, we see that Judah's uh, shepherds left the flock to be led to the slaughter which was when they went into exile. The leaders have failed, and so God himself was to come back and lead his flock. So the leaders of that time, and we're not talking about the, you know, we're not talking about the empires of that time. The spiritual leaders of that time were becoming disobedient. They were becoming corrupt. And through the disobedience, again, God judges that. So God judges as a consequence. God sees this and says, all right, all right, all right. You guys can't do it. So I'm going to send a promise that I'm going to take care of it. You know what they usually say. If you can't do something, you know, sometimes if you want to get something done, you got to do it yourself. And so God had a plan from the very beginning to bring his people back, even if he had to do it himself. So Zechariah chapter 11, verse 7 he says, so I shepherd the flock marked for the slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherd the flock. The good shepherd speaks of Christ's coming to shepherd his flock because the leaders at that time, they were powering themselves with the position over the flock the humble, and the poor. So they were oppressing. They were using power as opposed to being servants and loving and caring and leading the flock. They were oppressing the flock. And God cares for his people. He cares for his people. He has a heart for his people. So the good shepherd that he's talking about has two staffs. One is called favor, and it's the rod. And then it, it, it represents gentleness, and there's a round top. 
on the counting, you know, for counting the, the sheep and the discipline of the sheep and defending the sheep. So he used this rod that has a round top on top of it, and he uses it to guide them, discipline them, make sure that they're, 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 you know, that they're count, accounted for. Sometimes if they're sick and they're not, he'll, he'll have them you know, organized. He uses it for the direction and the organization and bringing order. The other one is called unity, and that's the one with the hook. And on that hook, it's a, it's a hook that he uses to pull certain sheep that are running away, that are lost. If you have a 99, use that hook to get the one that's coming away and bringing him, keeping him together in unity. So we look at Psalms 23, which talks about this particular thing that a shepherd does. Psalms 23, David, I could see him remembering the days of when he was a shepherd and reflecting on the good shepherd. And he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so there it is, the good shepherd with the rod and the staff, disciplining and directing taking care of the sheep, taking care of the flock, loving on the flock, and having the other one to restore those that are going away, that have been trying to run away. God is there to bring them back. So we just see how in these visions that he's had in chapter 9, verse 14, in chapter 14, he talks of the end times. Once again, despite Jerusalem being attacked, God will fight and conquer his enemies, and the Lord will be king over the whole earth. There will be only, there will be only, there will be only Lord, and he, his name will be above every name. So there's a time that God is saying, which is coming soon in which he's going to be the king, which he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And there'll be only one name, and his kingdom will be established. And that's the things to come. So we see God saying, return to me, because there's a promise that I'm going to, I'm going to uh, restore. There's a promise that I'm going to keep, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you, I want to use you to be a part of that kingdom that I'm establishing in which I will be Lord of all and my name will be above every name. Amen? So now we can talk about Malachi, the book of Malachi. Fun facts about Malachi. Malachi means messenger. And during the time of the prophet Malachi, the people of Judah have been back in Jerusalem. So now Malachi is here when they are back into Jerusalem. And they've been back from exile for about more than 100 years. So this is 100 years after they've returned from exile. And they were looking for the blessings and the promises to come in a certain way. And it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way yet. And the temple was rebuilt. However, there was corruption in the priesthood. And the people had become spiritually disinterested. God showed the people through Malachi, that there were that they were falling short, and the danger of hurting themselves 
and others again. So here we see that in Malachi, they are back. The temple was rebuilt. And remember, everything else was built before the temple. The priorities weren't there, as we learned in Haggai. The priorities weren't there. Oh, we out. I need, I'm going to build my stuff. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to do me. YOLO, hey, hey. And that's what it was. My crib. You know, you know how it is. I got my stuff. You stay on your side. Meanwhile, God's kingdom, God brings them out, not by might, by my, not by power, but by my spirit. God brings them out. But they forgot God. See, whenever God blesses you, you can't ever forget God. I've seen people get blessed, and they're like, hey, and forget God. Whenever God blesses, that's even more why you should hold on to God and prioritize building his kingdom, not your kingdom. So, yeah, they got to it. It wasn't as beautiful and as glorious as the first one, but they got to it. And they were trying to look for this kingdom on earth. But it didn't look like, it didn't look the way they wanted it to. And I think Pastor Carlos mentions this in, in, in one of his teachings as well, that sometimes the way God turns things and way, the way God has things planned sometimes doesn't look the way you want it to look. But in the midst of that, God has a plan. And when you read and you remember, and when you take hold of God's promises, you have hope and you are encouraged. But if you're focusing on things a certain way that you want them, like in Burger King, you want to have it your way and have it convenient. And you want it to, you know, I want it this way. I want it, I want that that way. I want, I want, you know, I want this couch. I want a certain kind of couch. I want it to have this kind of, you know, material. I want it leather. And God's like, no, I just want you in a chair. I need you in a chair right now, not a couch. And there's so many ways that God is, is trying to bring his plan and using his people, but they're not surrendering. They're just too busy looking around. And what happens is they get discouraged. And the people are saying to themselves in chapter 3, what's the point of serving God? What, what's the point of serving God when, when things don't work out as we expect them to do? God's promised all these things, and I don't see no king. I don't see no riches. I don't see no people. The people of God were overtaken by a great deal of disappointment in God, given the circumstances that were in, that they were in. Their circumstance, their their faith was circumstantial. It was based on what they they saw. It wasn't based on who God was. And there seemed to be a lot of disappointment in, in the promises of serving God, which affected how they became very lax as a result. There was a lot of uh, issues of God's people that they had to deal with. Now, as do be, as, how many of you have been in a time where you were at work and you saw everybody else, the ones that, the troublemakers, the ones with the loud mouths, the ones that were, that were cutting out early, the ones that were calling out all the time, they get away with murder. How many of y'all sit? Look, he let me <laughs> He's like, Amen. And like all this stuff is happening, and then here you are, the child of God, and you're doing everything right. You clocking in. You got sick time for a whole year, you know. And it's like 
you, 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 you know, you're trying to be the best you can be. But God forbid you do something wrong. Where you at? You calling out. Why? But you didn't ask him. What does that make you want to do at work? Whoa, somebody said quit. Whoa. Whoa. Tune in. Listen, y'all tuning in. Don't quit. That, that's, not, that's not what we're telling y'all to do. All right? <laughs> but you feel like that. It's like, why even try? Why even try? Your ethics sometimes just go, I'm going to do what Rome does. I ain't doing, why am I going to just bust my hump? And the thing is, if you're looking at the circumstances around you as opposed to who you're doing it for, now who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for the people? Are you doing it for the approval of the boss or the man? Or are you doing it for the favor and, the, and doing it as unto the Lord? That's the only thing that keeps me from saying, I call out. It's the only thing that keeps me from saying, why should, from do, doing the job and then looking around and saying, all right, well, skip, skip, skip. He's the only reason why. But the children of Israel, they're, they're egg, you would think they would be praising God and loving God and appreciating him for setting them free. But it didn't look a certain way. He said, why bother? Now you have leadership that is not following God. They're oppressing. Well, you know what? I'm going to skim up off the top. I'm going to just do me. You got the leaders doing that. And now you have those under them that are being oppressed. And that's what we see. Religious leaders became corrupt and abusing the sacrificial system. There were issues of divorce, mixed marriages with Gentiles at that time, Gentiles as well as those serving other gods. So they were, they, were, they, were, they were marrying those that were, you know, uh, worshiping Baal and worshiping all these other gods as opposed to God Almighty. And then there was economical injustice. There was no justice because everybody was just getting by and doing them. And, in, and, and, and when, you're not doing, when you're doing something in your own power, how many know when you have power, it can be very tempting to be selfish. And everyone else can be collateral damage. And that's what was happening. So this is what I pose to you. In your disappointment, we have two two, uh, choices. We could either feed into our disappointment and discouragement and become bitter. And this is a very slippery slope. And so this is why we have baggage. We find ourselves in baggage. These are the two choices. The first choice is you can focus on it. Why isn't it looking this way? Why isn't it, why isn't it convenient? Why isn't it that it's easy, not easy? Why are things becoming so hard? Why isn't it everything turning out the way? Well, God said, I wouldn't have to worry no more. God said, you know, I, he'll supply my need. Where is it? And so we're like, well, what's the use? What's the use? What's the use? And then we're carrying this baggage. The baggage is not there. It's our choice to focus on it. The baggage, is, you, the baggage isn't coming towards me. It's my focus on what's going on around me. That not only do I gravitate to it, I'm carrying it. And it's weighing me down. 
And this is the big bag. Thank God ain't nothing in it. But could you imagine? I'm like, uh, uh. And I'm like, God, what's up? God, what's up? But I'm too busy focusing on the issues as opposed to your second choice. And this is the choice that God wants you to make. Things are so hard. I can't believe this. This just not turning out the way I want it to be. This season is so long. God, you see my season. You see my issues. You see my problem. I need you. God, help me through. God, I think I can make it now. God, I think you're gonna, I'm going to trust you. You've done it before. You'll do it again. And that's what God wants us to do. You see, to go to God with your disappointment and continue to get a good grip and yet trust him according to his word and his plan because of the times that you remember when he made a way and turned things around, you, you'll walk with him over time. See, this over, over time, when you draw closer to God, it makes you draw closer to God. When you decide to go to God, when your first response is to go to God, it draws you closer. And by all means, bring your disappointments to God. But when you do, be ready. Be ready to listen. Conversation and communication is a two-way street. God is talking. I mean, we're talking to God, but you got to make time. To hear God talking to you. So be ready to listen and then trust God for the way he has planned things in your life, even when it's the way you don't expect things to turn out, which was the case for the children of Israel. The children of Israel fell so far in the disappointment that they slipped back and became neglectful of certain things of God. One was giving and not giving as far as they were giving, they were doing the act of giving, but they weren't giving from the the reason why they were giving. They weren't giving from the motive of giving. So we see here that giving generously was one of the things that they they struggled with. They would give, and God said, "I I have a problem with you. And they would say, well, what's the problem? And they were giving, but they weren't giving from their heart or generously. They were giving maimed and crippled for sacrifices, crippled sheep. They were giving crippled things and all these other things. And then they were giving, they were giving their first fruits as far as tithe. They weren't giving their best. They were giving what was rotten and what was old. They, were, they weren't giving the full tithe. So in Malachi, we see in uh, chapter 3, verse 6 through 11, God is saying, you're robbing me. You're withholding what's mine. So he says in Malachi chapter 6, I mean chapter 3, verse 6 to 11, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. So because of his promise, you're not destroyed. It's because of me you're not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. God says again in Malachi, he said it in Zechariah, he says it again, return to me. Say it again. Everybody say, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. 
But you ask, how are we to return? God says, will a mere mortal rob God? You rob me. But you ask, how are you robbing me? It's like a child that you, that's talking back to you. I remember Isaiah used to, ooh, I'm saying names. One of my kids. Love you, son. Saying one of my kids, he was like, they'd be like, oh, you stupid. You retarded. And they're all this and they're all loud. And then when I get with him and, and, and I'd be like, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. We don't ever use those words. He goes, what did I do? How are you saying what I do? You know what you did. But they play innocent all the time as if they don't realize what they did. And that's what the children of God are saying here. The children of Israel are saying here, what did we do? When did we rob you? God says, when? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields and will not drop the fruit. And and uh, I'm sorry, the fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God not only told you what was wrong, God says, do it right. And I'll do you one better. He gives you a promise. Isn't that, I just, I can't get over how faithful God is even when we're not. It just blows my mind. He says, yeah, you're doing wrong. I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. But I love you so much. I'm going to, if you come to me and you draw to me, I'm going to bless you. And it won't be because because of your sin, there's a curse. Because I'm not, because you're not letting me in, things are going wrong. But if you allow me in and obey my word and do it as, and, and, re, and restore the relationship, return to me, I'm going to return to you. It just blows my mind. I'm sorry. I'll get excited about that. God says that the tithe is his. And I'm not going to go into the, the, the scripture because of, the, because of time. But Leviticus uh, chapter 27, verse 30 God talks about this tithe in Leviticus and says, it's mine. It's mine. So we're going to go into some mathematics. I'm not a mathematician. My wife loves numbers. I hate numbers. Numbers kind of just make my eyes go crazy. But the mathematics of God is nine-tenths with God's blessing goes further than ten-tenths without God's blessing. Let's say it one more time. Nine-tenths with God's blessing. When you give God his first, and I'm not talking gross. I'm not talking about net. I'm talking about gross. All of it. Give the Caesar what's his, but give the God's what's God's. The whole thing. The 10%. Not of the net. The gross. Just an encouragement. Just an advice. You do as the Lord calls you. But I just want to encourage people. That's how I do it. It was hard in the beginning. And thank God for my wife, who likes numbers, helps me to chop that number off. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'll put it on. So we do it. So what happens is when you give that, it is, it is far more greater than your whole keeping it and thinking that you're going to be blessed. How many? But see, it's not so much the act. Again, Jesus challenges this. Jesus challenges this. The attitude, Jesus challenges the attitude of tithe 
rather than the act of giving tithe. It's not what you do, which is the act, but why you do it, the motive that God is concerned about. Generous giving is a trait of those who love God and trust God because of God's generous giving toward and love toward us, both monetary and spiritual. And again, chapter 4, Malachi's message is, and, and this is just to sum up Malachi, Malachi's message is, despite of the disobedience and corruption, the day of the Lord is surely to come. He is sovereign. His sovereign intervention is sure to come. God's judgment is coming to set things right. And God still promises to bless his people, just as we said. It's a promise. And then in uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, there's a promise of a messenger that's going to come. And we know that that represents John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for the coming Messiah. How many know know who the coming Messiah is? Can we say the name? Woo, I felt my strength coming. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So in Malachi 3, 6, 7, God is always wanting his people to return to the covenant relationship that he established since the very beginning of time because he never forgets his end of the bargain. Return not with rituals and going through the motions, but with the passion and a love from your heart for him. Return to me and I will return to you. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. Malachi came with a message to the children of God around 440 BC. And there's a gap of 440 years between the Old Testament, because this is where it ends, and the New Testament. Could you imagine? See, some of us, we flip a page. But there was 440 years where God was saying, I'm, he was silent. He was silent. See, it's almost as if God said, you stop listening. So I stopped speaking. He's calling his people back again and again and again. Come back, come back, come back, come back. Until it seems like God just stopped calling, it, bring, calling you back. But even in his silence, God is still working. He, just, he holds up his end of the bargain every time. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. I, I mean, I'm not singing it, y'all, so I mean, this ain't an audition. I'm just saying. You never stop. You ne- In my hardest times, you got your faith, that mature faith says, even that remembering faith says, the one that read the word and have walked with God over time says, even when I don't see it, you're working. See, during those 440 years, things were being held, things were being set up historically. You see, the Greek empire, it started to grow at that time. And Alexander the Great, 
when the Greek empire brought an international language. There weren't a bunch of languages. Now it made it just like, okay, in the U.S., the English language internationally, if you know the English language, pretty much you can go all over the world because most people know it. So now there's this international language at that time that makes it easier to speak to people. You see how God is working this out? Even when I don't see it, right? So then in 167 B.C., uh, shout out to Elliot. He's probably loving this, all this history stuff. Just don't correct me. Don't correct me. Antiochus, I, I don't know if it's Antiochus, Epiphanes, right? Epiphanes? Okay. Antiochus Epiphanes. He imposes the Greek culture and tries to exterminate Judaism altogether. I mean, he's making them eat pork. And he's sacrificing pigs in the temple. He's just disrespected, saying, no, this is how we're going to do it. All right? So he's going on trying to do this, and yet Greek culture and the Greek language and all these things are starting to be incorporated. 63 B.C., the Roman Empire comes in and expands to where Judea is a part of the Roman Empire. They brought peace, but it's with an iron hand. It's under, they brought stability, but it's with oppression. So they brought stability and the building of roads enabling the gospel to spread now. Now you have roads going directly to all these different places and areas. You see how God is setting this up? And you shall be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He's setting things up. He's not talking, but he is talking. He's not necessarily doing things that you can necessarily see, but he's doing something. He's preparing something. They brought peace, and then also they got rid of pirates in the Mediterranean, enabling the gospel to spread as well. So in the seas, there were pirates, and so the Roman Empire brought this order on the roads and on the seas so that they were able to go to Asia and all these other areas. Now, the three takeaways that I want to bring up, and I got to hurry up, the three major takeaways that I want to, is, is again, a mathematical of God mathematical equations. Communication plus trust over time equals relationship. I'll say it one more time. Communication plus trust over time equals relationship. Let me talk about the relationship. The relationship is the covenant between you and God. And it, as it was in the Garden of Eden, walking with God and dwelling in his presence from now until eternity. This is what God has wanted ever since the very beginning. In the beginning, we were walking with him in his presence in the garden. We were talking with him and he knew everything. There was no separation. And then there was disobedience. And through that disobedience came the wall, which separated us. But just remember that there was a relationship that God wanted with you since the very beginning of time. But if you don't remember that, it won't matter. When you won't remember that, you will focus on the baggage of sin and the struggle. And you'll pick that up. What will that do? Separate you from God. You see, that relationship 
How do you get that eternal relationship with God where you can be in his presence and talk with him and he talks to you and you not only have it here on earth, imagine God's presence walking with you and you bring in God's presence in other places, not just home and in church because Jesus is bigger than just Sunday. So just because you're in church, you know, God just doesn't dwell here. And God built, this isn't necessarily the temple of God. This is the temple of God. It's a building, but there's a building God made without hands. There's a temple that God wanted to dwell in. There's a holy of holies that he made with his son. Here, you are the temple. God wants to dwell in you. And he wants you to bring him everywhere you go. So he brings this relationship in the Garden of Eden right here. How many want that relationship? How many know about the relationship I'm talking about? Amen? Woo! Man, I wish I had time. I'm alone with the preacher. Pastor Carlos, please pray for me. I'm so sorry. So then, how do we get this? Communication. Daily talking with God. Daily talking with God. Praying to God every day. Seeking the Lord every day. That's how. That's one part of it. Seeking him. Trusting him. Not only talking to him, because remember, it's a two-way thing. When you're speaking to God, and he hears what you say, you have to hear what he says. How do you hear what he says? Through the word. You're reading the word. Not only are you reading the word, not only are you reading word, but you're also taking quiet time to hear what God has to say. And the second one is trust. That second one is trust. You can count on me. And that whole you can count on me. See, the thing is, we can count on God. We can trust God if we, if we read his word and we communicate with him. Like they say, sometimes communication and trust That's built over time. That's built over time. Um, And so this trust that we're talking about is one where there was a video I was going to show, but if if you're going to fall back, you expect somebody to catch you. And what if God... Or Jesus was standing in front of you saying, fall back, and the water is behind you. How many of y'all will fall back? You can count on God, but can he count on you to fall back? Do you trust him? And how will you trust him? The only way you can trust him is when you apply your faith and allow God to do what he does when you obey him. And after many times of falling back with God in front of you, you'll learn, wow, God is, I can count on God. And because I can count on God, he can count on me. How many want to be that person that God can count on you? Lifelong relationships. Lifelong relationships is some of the, one of the things that I really wanted to talk about right now. Well, you can count on someone. Lifelong, lifelong friends, you know, you can count on them. They do, each one of them does their part and do what's needed to have the relationship stand 
over time. Now, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm forever 35. I can't say 21 anymore, but I'm forever 35. And for 27 years, I've known, some of y'all may know, I have a, a group of friends called the Brotherhood. And these brothers have been some people that have been in my life for a long time. And the Brotherhood is made up of a Dominican, Cape Verdean, Irish, African-American, and a Brazilian. They're all different. But for some reason, something keeps us united and in, in touch with each other. Over time, our kids have grown together. Over time, we would, and, and, and it would be so important. It would be hard because we worked at it. Once a month, we're going to meet. We're going to have breakfast somewhere. We're going to have lunch. We, we just, we, once a month, and when we, we meet, we just say, okay, we're going to do it again. Such as said, what's next month? What's next month? And, and sometimes I would, be, I would have them remind me, hey, how do you know what, what it is right this morning, right? You coming, right? I mean, these guys were so into this relationship, and they fought for it, and they communicated, and we trusted each other over time. There were times we laughed. There were times we cried. There were times where uh, I needed something, and I could count on them. And then when they needed I mean, I've even had the privilege of this, one of my brothers, he helped me lay this grass down in the back. I did some gardening stuff I never thought I could do. He was there with me, tilling the ground. The next week, I had the privilege of, you, of um, taking him and his family and moving them, and moving the furniture out. And I'm just thinking, he was there for me all these years, and I'm here for him now. How many have lifelong friends like that? Well, I know you do, Pastor Devin. <laughs> And some of you that are even young, you know, uh, I've had a friend who, how many know Brian Mayfield? I'll say his name. Brian Mayfield. Okay. So Brian Mayfield, I've known him since junior high school. I've known him since junior high school. And he's the reason we were wrestling together. We were wrestling together. And he's the reason why I even came to this church. I was just one of the youth leaders at this church. But it's because of him. I didn't have a church at the time I was in college. And for all these years, we keep in touch with you. And what I love about him is that we don't have to spend so much time together, but we trust and know each other. I know I can count on him. And there was a time when he was sick, and years later, he got better. And then years, years later after that, um, we got together. We, ran, we went an hour away to go see him, and we just caught up where we left off. And he's one of those brothers that that relationship I fight for, and I keep that relationship. He counts on me, and I count on him. And then just to give a little bit else, there's another relationship that I have with my wife. And that one is one that's a lifelong relationship and commitment. It's not just a relationship of friends, because she is my friend. And she challenges me and helps me to become better. And she's ride or die. And, you know, after 26 years, after 20, oh, yeah, yeah, clap 26 years. After 26 years, like, you know, my youngest is 18 going on 19 and all this stuff. Um, it's a covenant relationship we have. There's a commitment that we have. And we fight for that thing. 
fight for that thing. You hear me? We fight for that. It's a commitment. And this, now these are just relationships that I'm talking about in the natural. But there's a relationship that's eternal, that goes beyond here on earth. And that relationship is with God. And how many know God wants that relationship with me more than I want the relationship with him? I have to keep up with him. I have to show God I want him as much as he wants me. How can I do that? Since the beginning of time, he's been calling me home. And then at one time, he stretches his arms out. He says, I want you. He lays it all down. See, I've had friends that have been there in relationships. We call them, and some of y'all young people help me out. Day one friends. You've been there since day one. Day one. How many know God has been there since day one? I can't compete with that, nor am I trying. But I'll tell you what, I'll trust him. Things may not go the way I want them all the time, but I remember day one. Father God has been there since day. He's been there since day one. I was 23 when my wife, we got together. We got married at 23. But God has been there since day one. And he's helped me and enabled me to be the man that would hold on to this covenant for 26 years and more to come. That's the relationship we need. That's the one that's more important. God loves me more than my wife could ever love me. God can fulfill me more than anyone else. And because of his love, I'm able to love her. Because of him since day one. I don't know about, I don't know. That just sounded really good. The quote of the day. I want you to remember this, y'all, because this world will have you chasing after everything. But I want you to remember this. Oh, I'm going to get yelled at for this one. You never really, you're never really rich unless you have what money can't buy. I'm glad you like that. You're never really rich unless you have what money can't buy. Unconditional love is something money can't buy. Eternal friendship with God is something money can't buy. Freedom within from bondage and sin is something money can't buy. A covenant relationship with God is something money can't buy. And it's something the devil can't have. I remember going to, I remember going to uh, Sights and Sounds with my family. And that's something money can't buy either family. But as we went, we were all watching this show called David, which is my boy, 
all my son's names, we all have the middle name, David. So I'm going to see, you know, David. So it's almost like saying worship's my middle name. So, and we see this story, David, and David loves God. You know, he, 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 he not only sings to God, but he lives for God. He breathes for God. He reads the word. He, he, he even says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I lived in my heart, hide in my heart that I might not sin against you. He is so consumed with God. He's a man after God's own heart. And God gives him the kingdom. And he's restored into the kingdom. But how many know that sometimes power is a very hard thing to have? And so what happens is David is standing out there, loving on God, looking at nature, but then his eyes wander somewhere else. Now, mind you, David has all the power. He has all the power at that time. He doesn't need anything else. He he has everything. But he lets the compromise of something that he can't have. That compromise is there. And it entertains his heart to the point where he focused on this. Even though he was here with God, he says, that looks good. Not Not only does he see Bathsheba, he lays with her. Then he tries to keep that a secret, and he's lying. Then he murders her husband, Uriah. Now she's pregnant, and he's trying to just try to keep everything under wraps. He's all in. Meanwhile, he had something. He was already rich. He had something money can't buy, a relationship. Could you imagine God saying, son, please don't go there. Please don't go there. But God loves us so much that he gives us a choice. And the children of Israel had a choice. And so I can see David, once he gets caught, he does something that God said. What did God say to the children of Israel? Return to me. Return to me. David says, what have I done? Create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. He returns back to God, and God returns back to him. You see, the good news is that God's grace is always there to turn things back around when you're ready to come back to him. See, God and man were dating in the beginning in the Old Testament, but God wanted a deeper relationship, and he repaired, and he wanted to prepare not only his his people, but then he prepared his bride. That covenant relationship, he prepared his bride. No greater love than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. He called you friend. See, once again, man once again showed that they could not keep up their end of the bargain in their own strength. There needed to be an ultimate sacrifice so that the veil could be torn and that any one of us, whosoever will, would be able to come. 
So God had a plan to bring man back through the ultimate sacrifice. You see, the good news is that God is all in. Nobody's excited about that? Put that in the chat. God is all in. He laid it all out. He says, I'm in. The question is, so it's not a question of God's faithfulness. It's not a question of God's character. It's not a question of whether God loves you. What comes into question is us. Are you all in? That's not something that I can answer for you. But I want you, not me, but you need to answer that for yourself in this moment in time. Those of you tuning in, are you all in? Are we going through the motions? Or do we want a real relationship with God? See, God wants to be where you are. The question is, do you want to be where he is? If that's you, every head bow, every eye closed. As we sing this song, if you found yourself not all in, you can come to this altar and lay it down. Whatever that baggage was, whatever that is, lay it down. Or even where you're sitting, lay it down, knowing that God is all in. Father, forgive us. Forgive us from walking away. Forgive us for neglecting to see you and focus on you in times that were hard. Father, we, some of us have allowed that wall to separate us. Some of us have allowed the concerns of the world to consume us to the point where we'll just go through the motions and say, what's the point? God, forgive us. And Father, I pray, God, we repent and we desire for you to forgive us that we may return home. We return to you, God, that you will return to us. And Lord, we desire that you have your way in our lives that we fall in love with you as much as you are in love with us, that we would be as faithful to you as you are to us, God. We want that lifelong relationship with you. We want that eternal relationship with you. God, you kept your end of the bargain and you've shown us that you will always keep your end of the bargain. God, we desire in your spirit and in your strength and in your power and through the blood of Jesus, we'll be able to do our best to hold up our end of the bargain, which is to love you with all of our heart, to worship you and live for you and spend time with you and trust you in every part of this journey, knowing that you are there. You were there, you are there, and you will forever be there. God, forgive us and help us to be all in because we know that you are all in. We are all in.
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, let this church and everyone represented here, God, Christ's fellowship is all in, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you welcome us with open arms just as the, pro- as you, the father did the prodigal son. You are that faithful father waiting for us to come back home. Father, we're back home. And we want to be where you are. We want to be near your heart. For there is nothing like your love. And we are rich in you because that is something money can't buy. And the enemy always tries to sell us a bill of goods so that we will disobey and walk away for something temporary. But God, we hold on to you for something that's eternal. Let this not be a one-night stand, but let this be a covenant that we desire to hold on to from here to eternity. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.